0: So much older than I'm younger than that
1: now All right, here we go. Got a one question pop quiz for you. Are you ready? True or false? New is better. What do you think? Is that true or is that false? I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton and this is growing bolder. What is growing bolder? Hey, see, I threw in a second quiz question. <laughs> it is the most revolutionary, inspirational, and motivational lifestyle brand. In the world today, changing the way we look at aging. And yes, sometimes new is better. But you are going to hear from some passion-driven, mind-blowing, age-defying people that more and more often the opposite is true. Mark, tell them how we're going to do it.
2: Well, the the formula that we use, Bill, as you know, is very, very simple. Uh, We shine the spotlight on some of the most unusual, exceptional, and inspiring people you will ever meet Men and women who are redefining age and proving to all of us that our later years can become some of the most meaningful, exciting, rewarding times of our lives. So coming up, we're going to meet some of those folks. Uh, We're going to meet some couples who would never have met if it wasn't for their running shoes. It's funny what brings us together. Also, you'll meet one of the most incredible athletes going today who we guarantee you've never heard of, but we think you'll never forget. And have you noticed that when it comes to movies and even brands, Everything old is new again. Stuckey's. Remember Stuckey's? Well, it is making a comeback, and you're about to find out why that was important enough for Stephanie Stuckey to leave behind a law career to do it. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives. That's the formula for Growing Bolder.
1: ever have daydreams about what it might have been like if your family had a business that you could have inherited? You know, one of those where you always knew it was going to be yours, no pressure, and you never really had to work a day in your life? Well, this is Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer, and our next guest had the horror movie version of this. Ever heard of Stuckies? Of course you have. They were everywhere. She is the granddaughter of the founder. Yes, lucky Stephanie, only she didn't exactly inherit it. You see, it kind of got run into the ground by other unattentive companies first, and she ended up actually having to buy it back. Oh, and no investor in the right mind wanted any part of it, so she had to buy it back with her own life savings. And, oh, there were only a handful of restaurants left, and they, let's just say, we're operating at a loss. So let's meet the person who made one of the most puzzling business moves since New Coke, <laughs> Stephanie Stuckey. Good
0: morning. I love that introduction, the horror movie version of inheriting your family's business. Yes, that was me.
1: And listen, you—you you didn't do anything wrong. You were living a—you were—you you were an attorney. You were a legislator. You were—you were you were do, you were going along the straight and narrow. And then somebody threw an opportunity to—to to save a brand that—that that meant something not just to you but to your dad, your grandfather, and your family. You really couldn't say no, could you?
0: Who could say no to a pecan log roll empire known for selling kitschy souvenirs and rubber alligators? Absolutely, I. I hesitated a little bit, but I said yes.
1: <laughs> is that true? You couldn't You couldn't get investors weren't interested, right? Because the company was in okay. terrible d- disarray.
0: Yeah, we were six figures in debt. So the great thing, I know this show is called Growing Boulder, So that's my demographic. I was 53 at the time. It was three years ago. So you can do the math. I'm 50-ish. And the good thing about being an older, more mature entrepreneur is that you have Credit. You have good credit. And I had a lifetime of savings. So I invested my lifetime savings into reviving my family's failing business. And yes, we were six figures in debt at the time.
1: And everyone, I'm sure you didn't do this without talking to a whole lot of people first. And I'm sure every one of them said, great idea, Stephanie, go full steam ahead.
0: No. (laughs) I talked to three financial investors And I talked to three, not only because it's good business sense to get three opinions, but because it took three to give me the answer I wanted. So the first two said, absolutely not. You should not do this. It's a terrible investment. The company is in the garbage dumpster fire. You know, it's a mess. Don't do this. And then the third said, this is risky, but, and I hung on to that, but, and the but is there's something that's not on the balance sheets and that's the value of a brand, so there are people like you and, frankly, me. My grandfather sold Stuckies a year before I was born. So we vacationed and stopped at Stuckies like every other family in the 1970s in the Woody Station Wagons, and I had those experiences. And I thought, there's enough people still around who loved our brand and have these incredible, wonderful memories that I think it's worth saving. So I did it.
1: There are a couple of wonderful things about what we're going to be talking about today. One of them basically is Stucky's because everybody, we all know it, we all remember it. And second is you and what you did and whether we have that same kind of, I wouldn't necessarily call it an adventurous spirit, but a a desire to follow your passion that I think we can all relate to as well. So first, let's talk about Stucky's because the story, I mean, I hope you're working on a book because this could be an amazing movie. We all remember it. What happened to them?
0: You know, I just finished my book. I submitted it to the publisher. Yeah, so this was not like a setup or anything. So that's great you didn't know that. I just submitted it to my publisher and it'll be out May of next year. And it is the story of my grandfather and the story of me. And I I alternate chapters between what he did and I draw parallels and inspiration and lessons from how he built the company. And then I have a chapter about how I'm using those lessons to inform how I'm reviving his brand.
1: Well, here's what what I think. I, I, I know we can get more into about uh, community and and representing small town America, but to me, the Stuckies is a, Stuckies is a story of resilience, uh, kind of born in the out of the Depression, uh, running headlong into World War II where every plan that your grandfather had had to come to a complete stop because of rationing and nobody was on the roads. And then you rebuild again and you're doing great. And then kabang, here come the interstate highways. And there goes everything that that he worked for. And he found a way to come back again. So it really is a story of resilience, isn't it?
0: It's the art of the comeback. I mean, resilience is not just bouncing back from a crisis and getting to the level you were before. It is learning from whatever that crisis was and building back stronger, adapting in a way that makes you even better. And so the great example is World War II, rationing, right? He was making candy at that point and he had a handful of stores and gas was rationed. So people weren't traveling to his stores and then he didn't have the candy to produce at his stores. So suddenly he was... of business. And what did he do? He pivoted and he bought a manufacturing facility and he produced candy for the troops. So that made him even stronger because when the war ended, he learned how to manufacture and scale. He learned how to package product. He learned food safety and preservation. And so he was able to scale more rapidly when people were traveling the interstate or Back then, there weren't the interstates when they were traveling Jefferson Highway and Route 66 and Lincoln Highway and Dixie Highway. And he started rebuilding those stores. And then he had a manufacturing facility that was providing those stores with his product. So he built back stronger.
1: And Stephanie, something else he did that he had to have been among the first. It's not just the buildings that we remember. It's not it's. It's the billboards along the road. Was he one of the first to go heavy into that?
0: Well, it's not just the billboards. It was that he was vertically integrated. So my grandfather, he started Stuckey's during the Great Depression, by the way, 1937. He did not come from money. He had to drop out of the University of Georgia to go home and work on the family's cotton farm, which he hated. And so he started Stuckey's as a roadside stand. It was a side hustle. And... He built it from there, but he didn't have an MBA. He didn't have any formal training in business. He figured things out as he went along. And one of the most important things he did was vertical integration. So he got his manufacturing plant. Then he had his retail stores. Then he got a trucking company. So he supplied his stores with product from his own shipping operations. He got a distribution center at the manufacturing facility, and he started a sign painting company. So he covered America's highways with 4,000 billboards that he made himself. And the whole time he's building community in Eastman, Georgia. So the little town of Eastman, which is like population almost 20,000 today, so not a big community, he became the major employer. And so he was building Pathways to Prosperity and economic development in his community. He wasn't just growing stuckies; He was growing community by building jobs, and he was also growing a community of people who love to road trip. So at his core, our brand is not about selling pecan log rolls. Our brand is about the independence and fun and freedom and getting on the road and exploring America by car.
1: And how proud would your grandfather be of you? Uh, you know, d- d- doing what he did without... Uh, business background, and you're kind of stepping in and doing the same thing, maybe taking even a bigger risk than he did.
0: Yeah, I don't have a business background. I'm an environmental attorney. I was happy in my green bubble, saving the world from climate change and sipping my oat milk lattes and wearing Birkenstocks and talking about saving the world with my fellow, you know, greenie friends and never saw this as my path in life. But it Age 53, I literally got a call one day from the investor group that owns Stuckies at the time and said, "Do you want to buy Stuckies?" So it, it, it's been a, a crazy journey. I've often thought about what would my grandfather say. I was 11 when he died in 1977, so I have memories of him. But boy, I wish I could even have an hour and just ask him what he thinks. I talk to him all the time. He hasn't answered yet. <laughs> I'd like to think he'd be proud.
1: Ste- Stephanie, what, what was it like for you trying to, trying to make this decision? I think so many of us, you know, we, we hit our 50s and we start thinking, well, maybe our most productive days are behind us. Maybe it's time to kind of, you know, slow down a little bit. But man, this, this is a decision that yeah. has jolted you forward. And really, it's a, it's a total reinvention for you.
0: Yeah. Well, I, anyone who's had a family business that they've lost and it happens a lot. What happened to our business is typical of entrepreneurship of that era, especially, but you see it more and more. A lot of people, they grow companies and then they sell them for a lot of money and that's great. And that's what happened to my grandfather. He made a ton of money from selling Stuckys, but you lose control of your brand at that point. And so I spent my lifetime seeing our brand trashed. I would drive by his old stores and they were porn shops and trucker bars and it broke my heart. And I'd spent decades seeing that and being disappointed. And when I had that offer, I thought, well, here's my chance not to be disappointed and not just doing it for me and for Stucky's and and wanting to revive what my grandfather created. So his legacy is not a bunch of porn shops on the side of the road but it's for anyone who's had a family business and they've lost it to say, you can get it back. You can make this happen. And the cool thing is there's not a lot of us. It's a very small club, but I do hear from other people who bought their family business back and it's just really heartwarming. And I hear from people who've lost their family businesses and they hope maybe someday they'll get it back like I have. So I just want to be able to show people it is possible.
1: You know, there are, there are so many people, that all of us listening right now are saying, yes, that's exactly what I would do too. But there had to be so much fear. So much has, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on you here. I mean, it's, uh, it's hanging, yeah. the Stucky's name now is hanging in your hands. How did you deal with the, <laughs> with the fear and the uncertainty that maybe you're pouring your life savings into a, a bottomless pit? Maybe it's too late. Maybe there's nothing you can do.
0: Yeah. Thanks.
1: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and there's gotta be there's gotta be a downside to this somewhere.
0: <laughs> I will say I'm, I'm a big believer in embracing your vulnerabilities. The whole Brene Brown. I'm a huge fan of hers, and I think naivete is my strength. Honestly, had I had more than an inkling of what I was getting myself into, I may not have done it. It is hard. I, I work ten to twelve hour days at a time in my life when I really should be sort of slowing down and enjoying the fruits of my labor of a lifetime of a career in environmental advocacy and instead I've taken a completely different turn but it's so rewarding to build back a business i mean i'll just say if you really love what you're doing and you're passionate about it and you've got the opportunity to do something that's going to make a difference and show people maybe inspire them that they can do it too. then it's worth it
1: it's incredible and i think isn't that one of the first things you did uh, when you took the company over is you decided to once again let's 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 create the candy ourselves yeah. let's not contract it out right and that's gone pretty well hasn't it
0: Very well. So that's I I took a lesson from my grandfather during World War II, And also he had to completely pivot when the interstate highway system came along. All of his stores were on the Jefferson Highway, the Lincoln Highway, all these other roads. And he was being bypassed by the interstate. Many businesses stood their ground, stayed where they were. And frankly, they failed. And my grandfather picked up and he moved and he went to the interstate and he had to pivot and embrace change. So I had to do the same thing. I love the Stuckey stores. I have an emotional attachment to them. There's only 13 original Stuckeys still around, and we don't own any of them. They pay us a modest licensing fee. So if I was going to rebuild the brand, I would have to pivot, and I turned to manufacturing. His candy plant, his operations, his trucking company, his sign company not only had been sold, but was in complete disarray and shuttered. So I couldn't couldn't revive his actual plant, but I had the incredible opportunity to buy a pre-existing plant and so we've pivoted and we're in manufacturing we've grown from about two million in sales to over 13 million in three years so the growth has been incredible we are now profitable our team has grown from nine people when i bought the company to we now have a headcount of a little over 70 and we just hired three new people this week so we are in growth mode and it's super exciting
1: such a great story where, where do you think you're headed where do you want to go with this
0: I want us to be the go-to pecan snack company in America. And if you go to a snack aisle in your grocery store, your convenience store, the snack nut aisle, you will be hard-pressed to find a bag of pecans on their own, right? You'll see peanuts, you'll see cashews, you'll see almonds, you'll see macadamia nuts for Pete's sake. But where's the pecan? And fun fact, the pecan is the only commercial snack nut native to our country. So I'm getting back to my sustainability roots. It's the most sustainable nut yet you will be very hard pressed to find a single bag of standalone pecans. They are fighting for space with the Brazil nut and the filbert and the hazelnut in the mixed nut bag. And that's not right. So we are in the number one state, Georgia for pecan production. We source 100% of our pecans from local farmers. We use only fresh crop pecans and we have the most delicious pecan snacks you'll find anywhere. We have gone from about 100 retail outlets when I bought the company to 5,000 today, and we are growing. So my dream for the company is to be the go-to snack brand for pecans in this country and to reach 100 million in sales before I retire.
1: You know what? You're going to get there. I can but your what? energy is infectious. The way you, the way you describe yeah. everything, you know, being about small town America and putting people back to work and and inspiring people. To, it's it's great. And the website's beautiful, Stuckies dot com. Oh, uh, where the products are. It's it's fun to go through, and the T shirts are, are hilarious, and the the products <laughs> take you back to a time when we sat. In the back of the station wagon, looking out yeah. the rear and waving at other cars. And I, I also love the uh, story about uh, maybe it's mostly lore, but how your grandfather decided, uh, you know, he'd, yeah. he went, when he built the interstate, he, you know, he would have one piece of property and put a store there. How would he know where to put the next one? Oh,
0: perfect cue because I'm drinking my morning coffee. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: he, it's, it's his coffee cup method. So he would get in his car and he would have a cup of coffee. He would drink the coffee. And you might know where this story is going. When nature called, he had to pull over, take a rest stop. That's how far apart he would space the stores.
1: Genius. Absolute I, genius. I it's... used
0: to joke, if I had only been on those road trips with my grandfather, we would have doubled the number of stores. <laughs> Maybe we would not have gone under like we did because we would have a lot of pit stops if I'd been in the car. <laughs>
1: Look, you're an amazing person. You're you're an example of what's possible in in all of our lives, and in whatever it is that was inside us that we always wanted to do. You know, again, mentioning we can't emphasize this enough. You were a you were an environmental attorney, a legislator, a law professor. You, you've never, yeah. you have never. <laughs> taken the easy path in life how do you deal with you know and then buying the company yeah okay but being able to scale it you're climbing higher and higher up this hill do do you ever get scared
0: all the time i wake up at 3 a.m pretty nervous and and my life savings didn't cover everything so we took out loans we have government loans we were in the process of getting a usda food production loan we've gotten a small business association loan we're getting new market tax credits so I'm heavily uh, leveraged, as I like to say, and everything I own is collateral, including my life. I had to take out a life insurance policy with the bank as the beneficiary. So, yes, that provokes uh, 3 a.m. panic attacks at times. But usually I just think, can I get through this moment? Am I OK with this moment? Can I deal with what's happening right now? Yes, And then before you know it, you're at the next moment, the next moment, and you're getting through it. I meditate a lot. I listen to Eckhart Tolle. I've read every book he's written numerous times, and that really helps me a lot. It's focusing on the present moment, making sure you can deal with what's right before you right now. Manage that, and then you can get through it. It's literally one day at a time.
1: And so many great points. Uh, you, you've touched all the bases as we've rounded this conversation. It's been fantastic. You're very inspiring. You know, I, I think what happens a lot is we'll listen to an interview like this, and you kind of go about your day, and you'll tell somebody, oh, I, I heard this great interview with Stephanie Stuckey, and, and your friend will say, well, what did she say? So if there's one thing that you hope we remember, and I guess it would probably be about, you know, what, what do you hope that we all realize about ourselves that you've learned from all you've been through?
0: Well, you know, I think I'll close with my grandfather's words of inspiration, and it's every traveler's a friend. I kept seeing that saying when I went through his papers. So, the best thing I got when I bought his company, not the assets, because there were very few assets. I did get six boxes of Britney Spears t shirts. So I'm very grateful that she made a comeback. I was able to sell those at a profit. But the best asset I got was a box of his papers, I got his archives. So that was my MBA in the evenings after I'd spent full days trying to revive the company, I would read through his papers and I kept seeing over and over. Every traveler is a friend. Every traveler is a friend. So I asked my father, what is this? And he said, oh, that was your grandfather saying. And, (laughs) uh, and I heard, you know, my grandfather actually had that, uh, on a plaque above his desk, but it wasn't just something that he framed and looked at. It was something that he lived Every person who came in contact with our brand was treated as a friend. Everyone was welcome. And one of the best ways to illustrate that was you know, we're in the deep south. We're based in Georgia. And during the Jim Crow era, when most places were segregated on the highways, Stuckey's was never segregated. Everyone knew that Stuckey's was a safe oasis. So I carry that with me to this day that every person who comes in contact with our brand, whether it's our employees, whether it's a vendor that we buy ingredients from, whether it's a retailer that's selling our product or it's a customer, they're a friend. They're treated with respect. They're treated with a smile. And so that's... That's just what inspires me is I think of how my grandfather treated everyone as, 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 as if they belonged. So we're all travelers through life. Every traveler is a friend.
1: Stephanie Stuckey, we feel like we're friends of yours after this short interview. We want to root you on. You and are. As you... Hopefully build back this dynasty that reminds us of what all the good aspects of what we used to be were, where, as you say, family friendly and good old hospitality were more than just words. And hey, folks, if you're interested in any of the great candies and the wonderful swag, you should see what they have. Check out Stuckies.com. Coming up, you're going to meet one of the most incredible athletes of our lifetime. Find out why you've never even heard of him and why what he's doing could make a big difference in how you see your own future. That's next on Growing Boulder.
0: Support for Growing Boulder provided by Caring Transitions, a senior move resource to help families ease the stress of life's transitions. Offering relocation, home cleanouts, and the resale of everyday household items. Locations near you at caringtransitions.com.
2: You are listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton, and we're going to talk to a YouTube sensation. A video of this guy winning the 70 and over division in the 100-meter dash at the Penn Relays has now been seen by millions. I mean, it's so jaw-dropping that he immediately became known as the Usain Bolt of septuagenarians. Uh, You know, folks, they say he defies age, but for our money, He doesn't defy it. He defines it. From our Fountain of Youth podcast, let's meet the incredible Michael Kish. Have you worked out today yet? No.
3: uh, Actually, this is my workout time, so I've uh, been a little flexible. I'm going to work out after we're done. We'll go up to the track and work with a fellow runner of mine.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, l- let's go back a decade if we can, because I understand uh, that, that you were active in team sports with your buddies through your 50s, but then they began to drop out, and you had this desire to keep going, which led you back to the track after 40 years. Is that how it all started again for you?
3: Uh, basically, that's how it, how it started. I've been uh, fairly active athletically throughout my uh Life, whether it's been through uh, pickup games and basketball, hockey, uh, softball, and as uh, people started to drop out. The game started to disappear. So one day I'm sitting with my wife and you know, we're watching the Olympics in London. And I said, you know, there's got to be something for us older people. There's got to be a tr- some sort of a track type of meet out there. So I happened to be at a local 5K event. And I uh, ended up uh, picking up a, some brochures for the Senior Olympics. And I said, oh, well, let's see. I think I can do that, and what I will do is um, give it a shot, a try. So I went out in September at the New Jersey Senior Olympics, and uh, I had no clue what I was doing. It's been a long time since I've been on the track. I ran in flats. I didn't run in spikes. And I ran the, the, the more difficult of the two runs, the two hundred. I didn't run the 100. I figured that there would be far too many people out there that could beat me. So I ran the 200 and um, ran it in 30 seconds flat in flats. So that's basically how I came back and started.
2: I think, Michael, when people take a layoff for a while and they come back in their 50s or at 60 like you did, uh, it's not uncommon for them to get faster or get better for a short while, because you start making adjustments, it is very uncommon for them to continue to get better and faster year after year after year uh, for another decade or so. And that's exactly what you've done. So I guess the big question that you get asked all the time is, is how have you done it? It seems like you've become a a true student of of what it takes to to increase your speed. How have you done that?
3: Well, I guess over the years, my times uh, in running in the 100 and the 200 have stayed consistent, and some of my times have have been lower, some a little bit higher, but they've been consistent. And over the last year or so, I've been rather frustrated with uh, my training uh, runs, and um, I couldn't figure it out, I couldn't put my finger on it, and all I would do is basically 100 runouts, some 200s, and I would try to run as fast as I could have practice. Um, and it wasn't until about a year or so ago, I said, you know, I'm going to go back into the internet and search for other options to help me stay consistent as long as I can with my running and stay competitive. And I came up through a couple of sites that I um, thought would help me run. And it emphasized speed work. And it was something that I hadn't done before. And I started to look at a couple of the workouts. I tried them in in practice and didn't know what would happen until actually I started running last year and this year and found that whatever I was doing was working. I was staying consistent, but some of my times would be much quicker than others and other times not. It depended on, I guess, on the situation of the runs I had to meet. So that's basically how I got to where I am at this point. I just opened my mind a little bit and searched through the Internet. That was the key for me.
2: And just so we're clear here, uh, Michael, what you say is you started doing speed work. I I think in in some sports, swimming in particular, and I think in track and field, a lot of people are now calling it race pace. Is that what you're doing? Maybe less quantity and more quality?
3: That's true. One of the coaches that I saw on the Internet that I used to help me with my workouts at practice, he had a, a saying, less is more and um i could always remember hearing or reading uh on the internet so coach say you got to always run full out all the time all the time uh i tend to undertrain a little uh, a little bit i don't try to run it all out every time and i think that has helped me less is more with my speed work and i will follow my routine that uh, others have suggested, and and again, it has worked for me. And I think it can work for others, too, but it was out there. It's just opening one's mind and accepting that maybe some of the practices that these coaches uh, that I've utilized is going to present positive results.
2: We're talking with Michael Kish, who has been referred to as the Usain Bolt of septuagenarians. Michael, what do you think about that? Do you like that description?
3: Usain is a tough guy to beat. I mean, uh, <laughs> I saw that, I had, had to laugh a little bit. But uh, it's flattering to to be compared to someone that is the fastest man on earth, and it's it's flattering. But it's, it's he has a tough shoes to fill.
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you know, folks, if you wonder how he got that nickname, how Michael Kish was named that, just, you know, just Google Michael Kish K I S H and, and probably Michael Kish pen relays and and you'll see the video that, you know, made everybody say that. You know, Michael, one thing I haven't asked you about, we've talked about, you know, how you train race pace, we talked about lifting the right amount of weights in the gym. How about diet? Because obviously you don't appear as though you carry any excess weight with you when when you run. Uh, What do you eat? What fuels you?
3: Well, uh, over the years, my diet has changed. I've eliminated alcohol. When I first started running, I found that the body was craving uh, water. It wasn't craving any beer at dinner or anything like that. And my wife and I sat down and talked one day, and we just said, okay, okay. That's it. We were going to eliminate alcohol from our um, our lives, and we haven't uh, had alcohol. Well, I shouldn't say we'd have I haven't had alcohol, but you know, it's just not part of our eating at this point. So that's gone. Alcohol is pretty much gone, and we we basically uh, I've eliminated pretty much all meat out of our diet. Most of the time, we're chicken, fish, and um, we try to balance it out with as much of you know salads and vegetables. And here is another part that we've, uh, at least for me, I've eliminated, and that is sugar. You know, this is all part of just trying to educate myself in terms of running and staying healthy. Sugar is highly addictive. Uh, Not that I felt that I was addicted to sugar, but it has its issues with diabetes and heart issues, so I thought that well, maybe this is would help. This would help me with my running. So we, uh, I pretty much have eliminated all sugar out of my diet. I will, on occasion, on a weekend, have a dessert or whatever, but I carefully watch what I eat in terms of our meals throughout the day, and I do use uh, a protein supplement to help with my uh, overall health and running. So it's an ongoing education for me in terms of uh, trying to stay healthy. But sugar was one of them, and eliminating alcohol was very important for for me in terms of my running.
2: You are a, a student of the sport, if you will you got a great diet you work out regularly you study it it's really not surprising to see the way you've progressed but the way you have i, I guess michael it shouldn't be surprising that you know after you won uh, I guess it was the 100 meters at the USA Masters National Championships in Lexington you were greeted by an escort uh, from uh, USATF that meet is run by uh, USA Track and Field uh, who who required uh, that you pee in a cup. They wanted to make sure that you were drug free. I'm guessing that you probably welcome that because when someone when, when you look at a video there are people that will say, you know, this guy, you know, cannot be doing this on his own. So they pretty much ask you to prove that you were doing it on your own which you did Uh, what do you think about that whole process what do you think about being drug tested
3: well I think it's an important component in our sport or any of the sports to be uh, drug free but when that happened in Lexington my first reaction was was oh no not again because two weeks prior to that in Finland I was drug tested And I couldn't understand, you know, at at first uh, why that would happen so quickly. Uh, Not being an elite athlete like some of the others that are in their 20s where they're constantly being drug tested, you know, that kind of took me for a loop a little bit. But, you know, you just have to go with the flow and accept it you know it's a process you know you have to keep drinking until you you you, you pee and uh <laughs> so you sit there for an hour or two and and wait till you can go but you know it's part of our sport that we need to be tested to try and keep it you know as drug free as possible so it is what it is and it's fine with me i don't have an issue with it
2: quick word about what you used to do, because for 38 years, you were a special education teacher. And, and I think to be a good student, it helps to have been a good teacher, which may be partly responsible for you being able to figure out this track and field thing to the extent that you have. But talk a little bit about your career as a special education teacher. Is, is there anything in that process that you think is helping you now or that that makes you appreciate more now what you're doing?
3: Well, in lots of ways, it is. It's always to keep working at a trying to be the best that you can. And I try to emphasize that to my students in class. And I said to them, just give me your best effort, keep trying, and eventually you'll be successful. You may not be successful now, but down the road you may be successful a year from now or a couple years from now. And that's been pretty much my philosophy. Just give me your best, work at it. And I can remember seeing a sign posted in a store once, and it, and it said, hard work plus discipline equals success. It didn't say you would come in first place or second place. It did say there would be success in your life. That, that phrase has always stuck with me, and I always keep to that kind of endeavor in my life. If I work hard at it and I'm disciplined at what I do, I'll be successful in some way. Maybe my times will get better. I may not make first place, I may not make second place, but at least maybe my times will get better. And that's something that I've always tried to emphasize with the students in my class. You may not get an A, you may not get a B, but maybe you'll get a few A's and B's here and uh, that will make you feel better and make you strive to to be successful in your life.
2: Other than uh, the records, the awards, the accolades, Michael, I'm certain that you're getting a lot more out of your lifestyle now than just that. I mean, think about it. A little more than 10 years ago, you were trying to to look for something to do that would inspire you and stimulate you and motivate you. And, And here you are now traveling the world. With a community of friends and supporters, it's got to—it's got to feel good to be you. What, what do you get out of all of this other than just the actual competition?
3: Well, I get to, as you just mentioned, I get to see a little bit of the world because I am a bit of a little traveler. I have liked to travel in the past. I've traveled throughout Europe quite a bit. So what I get out of out of it is that I, I get to experience other people, other cultures. I get to experience being with my wife and sharing those experiences with her. And I get to also continue doing what makes me feel good in terms of my running. And uh, as I said, it's I feel lucky that I'm able to do what I get to. Other people don't. Some people can't travel as much as I am. I'm I'm lucky in that respect that I'm able to do it. But it's a self-satisfying feeling to know that through the hard work I've been able to do and I've been able to stay healthy. And through the grace of God, I've been able to continue doing what uh, I've been doing over the last 10 years. So that's pretty much where I'm at right now.
2: It's a great place to be. It has been fun to watch you run, Michael Kish. It's going to be more fun than ever in the future now that we've gotten to know you and, and get a better sense of, of exactly who you are. You have run 100 meters in 12.66 seconds. Can you give us 12-second takeaway here? Can, can, you, can you give us the moral of the story? What's the quick takeaway from Michael Kish?
3: The, the quick takeaway is to stay with it, stay open-minded, Constantly try to learn in life and give your best effort and look back at that that phrase, you know, hard work plus discipline will equal success. You you just got to stay with it in uh, whatever endeavor it is, whether it be running, walking, swimming, hiking, whatever it might be. Just stay with it and keep yourself open and don't say it can't be done. I think it can be done.
2: Beautiful. You did that well. That, that, that's a 200-meter takeaway, uh, by the way. That was more like 26 seconds <laughs> than it was 12.6. Michael Kish, thank you so much, folks. Uh, he is the Usain Bolt of septuagenarians. He's a powerful and important example for all of us about the ever-expanding boundaries of possibility as we age.
1: Up next, you knew running was good for your health, but did you know it could also be good for your heart? Stay tuned for Finding Love at the 5K. This is Growing Bolder. If you're in the
2: Central Florida area, why not join Bill and me May 31st for Growing Boulders Launchpad to What's Next Live. It's a night of inspiration with longevity expert Dr. Vonda Wright, Commodore's founder Thomas McClary, meteorologist-turned-motivator Amy Sweezy, and more. Launchpad Live at the Savannah Center in the Villages. Just go to tickets.thevillages.com and look for May 31st on the event's calendar. We'll see you there. Hi, Mark Middleton, you're listening to Growing Boulder, and of course, there are so many reasons to take up running. You can run for competition, you can run for your health, you can run to lose weight, but did you know you can also run for love?
1: Here's Bill to explain. Why is it that so many people get up before the sun on a weekend day off to participate in a run? Well obviously it's about fitness and for some it's the challenge but for the lucky ones it's about love. Yes, running can be just as effective as Cupid's arrow. It can ignite the spark that creates relationships and that's why Track Shack has a run for love. Because you just don't know somewhere in that sea of determination, exhaustion, and sweat could be the perfect person for you. That's the way it happened for Kitty and Jim Musante, who still remember.
3: Our running careers go back 40 years. We first met, uh, I guess, in the 80s, and uh, we've been married 12 years. She was always the prettiest girl out there. She had a very good figure. She uh, was eye-catching.
4: I always thought of him as just this Great guy. I would see him. I'd see him on the podium. We'd run into each other at Boston, and he was a fantastic runner, and he was pretty cute, too.
1: Don and David Smith had been married for 35 years, and for them, it also began thanks to running.
3: The tracks I had used to have like the racing teams, and we were both uh, members of the racing team. That's how we met.
5: Yeah, and I, I uh, won a dinner for two, and I uh, invited him. So that's how we got on our first date. And, and I thought, well, I thought he was a, you know, around my age. I'd like to like, know him more. And I wanted to uh, meet somebody with a healthy lifestyle that was running and did the things I liked. So, um, And then we went uh, to dinner, and so that was our first uh, date. And I figured if I didn't ask him, he wasn't going to ask me.
1: And since then, the two have run the course of life together. In fact, now they couldn't imagine life without each other. They couldn't imagine it without running, either.
3: It's not like running is a hobby. It's more like a way of life, that uh, you want to feel good about yourself, feel active, competitive.
5: No matter what your age is, when you're, you're 8 years old or if you're 80 years old, I have a friend that's uh, over 80, and she's still running. And we always check in to see how we're doing. So it's just a wonderful atmosphere. Uh, it's fun to be in, and I think everyone enjoys it.
1: Both couples, now in their 60s, run in the growing Boulder division, powered by Florida Blue Medicare. Running has taken them places they never expected to go. I've been doing Boston Marathon since 1981,
3: so I'll have 42 straight. This year will be number 43. i like to know when there's something to be done I can do. I love healthiness.
5: We've run marathons. We've run the Trek Shack series. Um, I've run Boston once. Dave run Boston, I think, 11 times?
1: 14 times. 14
5: times. So, it's important in our lifestyle to stay active.
1: And staying active, both couples agree, can be the fuel that keeps relationships running.
4: I think there's that no giving up, that perseverance, the day in, the day out, and don't you don't want to fail, you don't want to lose, you want to keep what you have. It's something that, that we share, but we share the, the good. The bad and the ugly, as they say. If he has something going on or we have a good run or a bad run, we just like step in the door and we look at each other and we go, oh, that was tough, or had a good run today. So it's just something we we can share every day.
3: But When it comes down to the, the uh, nuts and bolts of it, when I have an injury of any sort, she keeps me running and I know she'll keep me running.
4: I, I do try to life. coach him, but he's, he's pretty much uncoachable.
3: <laughs> I just like to run.
1: <laughs> and that's one thing that every person at this race has in common. They like to run. But they will tell you it isn't always fun, and sometimes they have to push. But like any good relationship, if you put in the work, the reward makes it all worthwhile.
3: I can tell when I, there's periods where I don't run, just because I'm injured or whatever. I just don't feel good. When you're running, you're feeling good, your blood's flowing, you feel good about yourself.
5: For anyone that's my age and running, you know, I think that we do set an example that you can do that. Keep active, keep moving, um, you'll continue to be healthy. If you don't move, you're not running or you're not walking, um, you know, you're going to get weaker and you're going to age. So you know, keep as active as you can.
2: Well, everybody else has had their say so far on this program. Up next, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind today. This
1: is Growing Boulder. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts.
2: My guard stood hard when abstract thrits, too noble too neglect.
1: Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton here with you on Growing Boulder, And man, I get into this segment, Mark, as you know, because we get to talk what about what is on your mind. And it's always something interesting. It's always something that comes from the growing bolder perspective on things that affect us all. Yeah, I just feel like there's a couple of old guys chatting about our <laughs> lives, Bill. And uh, it, it does come
2: from our growing bolder perspective because I shot a story this week for a new client of ours, a company called Caring Transitions. You know, they help people make important life transitions. And one that is happening for everybody is downsizing later in life. And it's very, very difficult for older people to leave behind their family, their friends, the home that they they grew up in. They raised their family. And the story that we did, that this husband and wife had lived in this family or in this home, for 56 years, and they were moving from Massachusetts uh, down to Florida, uh, and they and they made their first move all by themselves. Their their kids tried to help them out. There was fights among them about what to keep, what to throw away. Do we want to pay to move? It, you know, it's a stressful time for anybody, but especially you know when you get older and you have physical limitations. So, what's on my mind is something you and I have talked about, and uh, and, and that is, is is downsizing in general, and I and I think I've mentioned this in years past, but uh, I I checked the statistics again. Uh, There are 300,000 items in the average American home, uh, and that's just in the home. There's uh, more than 25 percent of all people who have two-car garages can't fit a single car in their garage, and one of the fastest-growing segments in the U.S. commercial real estate market are these extra self-storage units because even the two-car garage isn't enough. So uh, the point of it is, and my wife and I talk about this all the time, we got to start getting rid of crap.
1: It's the old George Carlin routine, his most famous one. He goes, what do we do when we're adults? We we get a house because we need a place to put our stuff. <laughs> and then we need a bigger house because we got more stuff. <laughs> but there does come a time when that stuff becomes overwhelming. You know, we keep things because they have some kind of memory or meaning to us, but do they really... You know, can you take a picture of it? Isn't that good enough these days? We do have a problem with too much stuff, and it does become overwhelming. And if we just wait... Until the last minute, you're just leaving it to your kids to have to deal with.
2: Yeah, yeah, we have this game all the time where we say, let's pretend we're going to move in six weeks. And, you know, And it lasts for a while, but it motivates us to go through a few more boxes. And you reexamine the stuff, uh, and you discover stuff that you haven't seen in years that is important to you. So you put it in another box, and you hang on to that in- until the next time
1: you play the game. And then you kind of wonder, you know, am I just keeping stuff? Or where's the line to where I am officially a hoarder? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, people talk about what the Growing Boulder ethos is. Here's part of it less is more. Experience is more important than things. And, and you know, I, I, I say that to myself so often that, that you know, I actually believe it now. <laughs> and the
1: other key to the ethos is look forward instead of always looking back. And, folks, if you do that, then you are growing bolder. See you next time.
0: The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula, and our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.